Good evening. First and foremost, as always, it's a privilege to be here and a special to David for making this event and uh, for giving me the opportunity to, uh, to participate. And uh, it gives us a chance to really sit down and look at a lot of different ideas over the course of a year. It's now years, actually, but uh, come at different times. So I don't think I've really been here before Purim. I was speaking in Brooklyn last night, and someone comes over to me and says, Happy Motze Shushan Purim Cotton. That's a long sense. <laughs> so, uh, so what's meant, yeah? So we all know that Yudal Tesvav of Adar Aleph is a din of, uh, of uh, Purim, has some kind of din of Purim, Purim cotton. Yeah? Mishnaburi says, Marvik Sas Basuda, which is a sacrifice we have to make for our religion. It's very difficult, but uh, okay. Marvik Sas. I don't know if the hard part is the Marva or the Ksas, but uh, you know. They have Sudas. You have Sudas uh, on Purim. The Gemara in Megillah says, Ein bein adarishan la'adarishani ela. And it turns out it's basically Kriyas Megillah and Matanas of Yonim and the Purim Suda and, uh, and Shachmanas. Otherwise, they're all the same. <laughs> they got everything by the time the Gemara gets through it. So what's, what's Ein bein? Simcha. And the Kayach of the Simcha of uh, Adar goes on for two months, and whatever the Kayach is of Purim taking away the actual mitzvahs is also Purim cotton. So, uh, so you have a, a, a power that's taking place during this time that people are able to, uh, to tap into. I, I don't know if we ever spoke about this, but somebody said to me, Can I do tshuva anytime? Only on Yom Kippur you can do tshuva, you know. Can't you be happy anytime? Only on Sukkot you can be you can be happy. A litvisha asked me, "I can only be sad on Tisha B'av. I can't be sad other times." <laughs> you know, so there's uh, there's lots of lots of things. So the answer is, I explained. Uh, I always give a marshal the childproof cap that they put on things today. Where you have to line up the two arrows and pop it open. Basically, only a child can do it, because older people can't, they don't, <laughs> their fingers by now with the arthritis, on, so they give it to a little kid. Could you open this for me? <laughs> but the idea is, if you line up the two arrows, it pops right open. Could you open it anyway? Sure, get a pair of pliers, you can rip it off, get a knife, you can cut it off, you know. But when the arrows are lined up, it pops open very well. When we're in time, there are certain times that are just more masugal, where it's easier to accomplish something. It's a shortcut. Yeah? There's a, there's a power within space and a power within time. The Mishnah and Kalim says, Esa Kedusha's hand, Eretzel, and then cities uh, that had a wall from the time of Yeshua, and then Yerushalayim, and then the Harabayas, and it keeps moving on. Yeah? It keeps moving on. So the, the, the koyach of the Kedusha is totally on places. It's an interesting thing. The Sfas says a fascinating thing. 
What's the kedusha of a city that had a wall around it from the time of Yeshua? Why is that any more kadosh than any other place? And if he built a wall when you came in, so he says the Kananim were very good at identifying kedusha, so that they could counteract it. The Kananim, with all their tumah, if they found a place that had a special level of kedusha, they built a wall around it so they could concentrate all of their tumah on that spot to be able to cancel it out. So there are places where there's more potential for kedusha, which you may or may not realize. Yeah, and and if a person knows how to be able to tap into that energy, you're able to you're able to take advantage of that kedusha. It's in that place. Same thing with time. There are certain times that are greater. And there's a certain power in Purim and by extension Chodesh Adar that extends into two months. Parenthetically, as, as we know, every, every month has a mazel. What's the mazel for Adar? Dogim. That's why it was so beautiful. I came into the base Medrash and they had the big Mishanichnas Adar Barbim Basimcha sign and there's always Dogim. Yeah? Dogim that are in a circle. Yeah? I don't know about here in America, but, you know, in Eritrea where we have everything. So if you go to Basis Israel Takeout, you can buy a platter with two fish that they set up like that. You know? For a special shalachmanis. Anybody who gets it special. I don't know if they have these potentum in, in America. But, uh, you know, there's this, there's this kayach that exists. I don't know if anybody here was born in Adubais, but uh, the mazel for Adubais is nothing. I looked at a calendar where they had the mazalas, you know, next to each month, and by Adur Aleph they had dogim, and Adubais they had dogim again. Yeah? It's a mistake. Adubais has no mazel. Shalom mazel. That's what they call in Yiddish, shlamazel. Yeah? So it's shalom mazel, but that's that's a mistake, yeah. That's not pshat. The Chizkuni says that when Moshe Menor tells Yoshua v'cholonu anoshim, pick people to go out and fight a Malik, the Chizkuni says find people who were born in Adar Beis, because since they don't have any mazel, so they can't be affected by the kishuf of a Malik. It means you're above it, you're above the mazel, you're 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 on a higher level. So, uh, plus you don't age as quickly because you only have a birthday seven out of 19 years. So, you know, another person is 60, you're about 21. So it works out very well. Why is the not the base? What's that? Why is the not the base? Oh, says the Gemara. To take the Geula of Purim and put it next to the Geula of Pesach. Otherwise, we would say, Makdim and And it would be an Adar Aleph. Anyway, so I want to try to focus on something. Now, I've spoken about this before. Um, sometimes when I teach, I, I, you know, spend some time explaining uh, certain objections I have to certain things. Um, my students call it going on a rant. Uh, I occasionally refer to it as standing on my soapbox. Um, but uh, either way you look at it, you just like to point out things. Purim has changed dramatically 
from the time I was a kid. Purim used to be fun. It was something that was enjoyable. Yeah? And every aspect of it has been taken so out of proportion. You know? Uh, we used to go to show and the little kids had gragas. You remember Graga? <laughs> this little metal thing, Greg, 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 you know? It's okay, so 50 kids going, Greg, 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 you know? I go to Shul now, and there's some adult with a wooden Graga six feet long. Greg, 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 you know? You have people, you know, with the cap guns, you know? And uh, I live in, I, I dive in a small Shul, you know, kids of the cap guns. It reminds me of a chasen I went to many years ago where... This is a perfect example of where something sounds like such a great idea and you don't realize how absolutely incredibly stupid it is, you know. <laughs> On every single de- table, they put a box of sparklers. So that when the chos came in, they, they dimmed the lights and everybody lit their sparklers. And as they came in, everybody waved their sparklers. Beautiful. You know what happens when a sparkler goes out? <laughs> it releases this cloud of acrid smoke. And the whole room is filled with this smoke, and people are dancing like, you know. <laughs> I saw the band standing outside the door playing, you know. I was like, you know, you don't, you don't try to think it through. Cap guns have the same effect. So the guy laying in the Megillah is like coughing <laughs> from all the smoke. Now, Baruch Hashem, there aren't so many kids who actually bring, you know, uh, uh, cap guns. They bring, like, large explosive devices, you know, uh, you know, M-16 missiles, you know, you know, and, you know, things are blowing up and crashing. And, and I tell you, halfway through the laning, you don't care about Haman. You want to kill that kid, you know what I mean? Like, you know, it's just, it's just so incredibly oppressive, you know? So what used to be a nice thing, I came up with this unbelievable cop. <laughs> you know, my wife, I used to tell her, you know, uh, you know, they have the laning for the women afterwards, you know. And uh, I said, listen, you know, they like to have a minion there. So I'll go there. You can go to the regular laning. <laughs> it took a few years before she caught on what I was doing, you know. Because <laughs> when you go by the Viper, it's like, come on. <laughs> you know, you go into that, that ordeal over there, you know, with the, the war zone. Like all careers of Megillah, you know. That's one aspect, you know. Um, costumes. Costumes used to be cute. Costumes have gotten completely out of hand, like everything else, right? You know? My kid was two years old, going to Ghan. So my wife said, yeah, well, she took a red jogging suit, thought it looked regal, you know? Took an apron tied around his neck, you know, made him a little crown out of aluminum foil, you know? And uh, put on some, made him a little you know, beard and, uh, and mustache, you know, a little makeup, you know. He's two years old, you know, to go off to God. And the van pulls up with the cast from a costume drama out of Hollywood. <laughs> Everybody's wearing these, like, professional costumes. You know, my kid's mouth dropped open. It was one of his more traumatic moments, you know. He comes home from God and he says, well, I was there. He goes, oh, this one was this, this one was that, yeah. You know, and says, and you were Mordechai Yehudi. And he says, no, I wasn't. You know, Yossi was Mordechai Yehudi. He had a big fancy costume and he was all dressed up. He goes, well, but what were you? I was nothing. <laughs> Very traumatic. 
very important, by the way, to spend thousands of dollars on costumes. I think this is also a very, very important <laughs> aspect to reflect the real meaning of the day, you know. It's great when you go to Yerushalayim, you know, because all they do is they have Turkish fez left over from the Turkish period. Everybody puts on one of these little Turkish fez. That's already, like, over the top, you know what I mean? Like, like really wild, you know. So, uh, and then, of course, the Shalach Manis, you know, Remember when Shalach Manas was like Shalach Manas, you know? Now it has to have a theme. My kids say to me, a month before they go into panic, what's our theme? I said, how about Purim? We'll bake hamantash and put in a bottle of wine. We'll make a Purim theme. No, it's got to be a color. Everything has to be yellow. Everything has to be green. Shushan Purim last year came out on, on Friday, so they did Black Friday. Everything was black. That was that was joyous, <laughs> you know. And it, it just gets crazier, you know. You have to have this theme, that theme, you know. And then you have these people just, you know, send you the mishkan made out of chocolate. You know what I mean? With all the kalim inside, you know. You know, when people do something like that, you actually eat it. They have a heart attack, you know. Why are you sending me something that you don't want to be eaten for shalachmanas? You know, put this on display someplace, you know. But. Uh, you know, it, it just gets out of hand. You know, it's just too much. And then you, you know, you go so give somebody shalachmanis. You can see quickly you weren't on their list. You know, and, you know, and they hand you another shalachmanis, which you realize you had given to somebody else. It's your shalachmanis, <laughs> which is just as well because you liked your stuff better. You know, and they didn't even bother taking out the card. <laughs> you know, from the oh, excellent. You know, take it home. You know, and. Uh, you know, it's gotten out of hand. It's gotten out of hand. The drinking, forget about it. Forget about it. Just, you know. Ramesha Shapiro said that nobody should drink on Purim until they're 40. Because what's inside comes out. And nobody has anything worthwhile to come out of them until they're 40. And I add in, and what does come out of them really should be left inside. Yeah? And I'm saying that both megashmius umi ruchnius. You know what I'm saying? Just keep it inside. <laughs> Not doing anybody a favor, you know? And it gets, it's crazy, crazy, you know? Things, things are uh, getting carried away. So I want to focus on just one of these aspects because I could go on about everything else too, you know? Purim shtick. Purim shtick's a lot of fun. It's, uh, it's the fancy word we use for random acts of destructive violence against other people. But, you know, you say that, it doesn't sound so nice, so we call it Permishtek, you know? <laughs> I, I was driving my car, and it started making this terrible whistling noise, and I had to take it in, you know, to the, to the uh, dealer. You know, I, I was tied up for a whole day. I had to take a taxi there, a taxi back, you know? And finally I get there, and the guy's laughing. Someone stuck a whistle in your in your muffler over there, you know. You know, I just had to take it out. Here's your bill, three hundred shekels. You know, what a great shtick, yeah. Um, we we call that uh, hezek. That's the term we use for that, you know. Purim shtick, you know. I was I was in a mood once, you know, and girls were like, you know, any good idea for perm shtick? I said, yeah, I got a great shtick. Say, why don't you go through your enormous amount of clothing that your mommies and daddies bought you, pick out some of it and give it to poor people who don't have any clothes. There's a great shtick. 
hey, I got another shtick for you. How about instead of going out and using your parents' credit cards to go out and eat every other night, take that money and give it to poor people who don't have any food. There's a shtick. Wait, I got another shtick for you. How about... Anyway, by the end, there was not much of a firm spirit left in the room. I don't think that was a bad thing, actually. <laughs> you know? But I want to talk for a moment about... Um, about costumes. That's really the theme for this evening, masks. Um, there's a general rule, minikidinu, that if there's something that Klai Yisrael has accepted upon themselves, it definitely has very deep meaning. Nothing is for nothing. Every food that we eat, right? If you, what do you eat? What do you eat on, on, on Purim? Hamantashen. Some people eat kreplach. Some people eat chalupchus. Some people have never heard of chalupchus. They're stuffed cabbage, yeah? Because <laughs> you don't have that Hungarian, you know, uh, um, uh, experience. But uh, well, the, what do the, all those foods have in common? So you have a, a hamantashen, and it covers up the filling. Yeah. It's hidden. You take a kreplach, it covers up the meat. It's hidden. You take a chalupcha, whatever they stick inside a chalupchus today, you wrap it up in a, in, a, in a cabbage, you don't see what's inside. It's all food where the, where the thing is hidden. Where something's hidden. Megillas Esther is to be Megala the Hester. Yeah? I'm hiding myself. Everything is hidden. So the food that we eat is significant. People dress up in costumes. You dress up in costumes. Obviously, if you dress up in costumes, then you're hiding yourself. Can I trouble somebody for a voracious? I don't mind if it's a five in one. Uh, but. Uh, so what's the what's the concept? Shkayach, shkayach, Yeah. So the the concept of a costume obviously is the fact that people uh, are hidden. That's the idea of a mask. The idea of something is that you hide who the person is. There's a fascinating reference to um, to costumes and clothing. It's interesting that in a normal year, uh, Purim often comes out around Tetzaveh, where we talk about the Begadim of the Kohen Gadol. But um, when Yosef reveals himself to his brothers, everyone thought he's the evil Egyptian viceroy Tzaftas Paneach, and suddenly he takes off his mask. Uh, he takes off the little hat with the snake on it, you know, and you know, I'm sure he's got one of those little pyro beards, you know, and, and suddenly he says, I'm Yosef. And his brothers couldn't possibly recognize him because he had a beard. I know during Sphira very often, some of my closest friends, I just can't recognize them, you know. It's strange, especially when you consider that Yosef looked exactly like Yaakov, who also had a beard. Also, uh, the Mitzrim are descended from Ham, so they were all black. And there's this one guy who looks... At, very Semitic, you know, and he's standing up there, knows things that only a member of the family could possibly know, looks exactly like our father, and they just can't figure it out. Now, a psychologist told me this once, I didn't check it out, because I'm not Pesach Krum. Pesach Krum, before he tells the story, he researches it, he checks six times. I heard something, I say it over, that's good enough for me, yeah? Uh, I didn't actually check into this, but there's something that is called the Clark Kent Syndrome. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with that particular reference, uh, Superman, 
who's a strange visitor from another planet, came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of Bono Man. So uh, he's an alien, and he wants to fit in the American dream, you know, wants to assimilate. So he gives himself a Goetia name, Clark Kent, and he puts on a pair of glasses, and he dresses, so this way he can fit in. But really, he looks like, he looks like somebody from another planet, right? So uh, this is, by the way, the tension that, that many Jews experienced. That's why Superman was invented by two Jews. This is not me saying this. There was an actual book written called Up, Up, and Oy Vey, explaining <laughs> the various Jewish roots. And his, his cryptonym name was Kal El. You understand? You, you see where that's coming from? Yeah. So it, it, it's already that kind of a reference. Yeah. Somebody explained to me that really his name was Superman, and uh, he was oh, Jewish, yeah. so he you know changed it over. You know. But there's certainly this idea that Jews have always tried to fit in, and they understand that they have certain powers and abilities beyond everybody else. You know, and uh, they feel responsible for saving the world. You know. And that's why he's got that big red talus that he wears in the back and everything. He's like, "Mamish, the whole." The whole thing, yeah. So those are only references. The only real superhero that I know for a fact to be Jewish, I know this because when I was a kid, you know, I used to read comic books, which I grew out of. I have a friend who never did. He must be about 50 now. And he fills me in with what's going on. You know, every now and then he'll say, oh, this one died. I said, really? He says, yeah, but he got better. You know, I said, you don't stay dead in comic books for too long. You know what I mean? But uh, there's this group called the Fantastic Four, and this guy who became the thing, Ben Grimm, is actually Jewish. Now, Stan Lee from Marvel Comics, who's also Jewish, said, I thought that was obvious. You know, he comes from the Lower East Side, the Lancy Street, you know what I mean? The whole thing like that, the way he, his accent, you know? And so he bought me... Uh, the comic book in plastic, Chashev, you know, where he actually goes back to Lower East Side and investigates his Jewish roots. It's it's a deeply moving moment. But in any event, um, he's the only one I know for sure is Jew. But, but there's Jewish references to throughout to all the different uh, characters, right? So uh, so there's something called the Clark Kent syndrome. What does that mean? Clark Kent's closest friends. Don't, Superman's closest friends don't realize that Clark Kent and Superman are the same person because he puts on glasses. I know absolutely nobody recognizes me now. <laughs> you put on glasses and suddenly your closest friends have no idea who you are. Yeah? So, uh, so he explained to me that psychologically that's called the Clark Kent syndrome. Vus meant. It means that as long as I don't expect to see you there... I will ignore all the evidence of the contrary. It can't be that you're, that you're Yosef. I know Yosef was sold into a slave. They were checking all the lowest places, looking for him. They couldn't possibly imagine that this is him. And in spite of all the evidence of the contrary, there's a certain you know, uh, psychological block that we're not going to see that person there because you don't expect it. So they couldn't imagine, just like Superman's friends couldn't imagine that Clark Kent was Superman, so too Lahavdil. Yeah, that uh, they couldn't figure out that Yosef was. So he takes off the mask. I'm Yosef, and they're like, ah, that explains a lot, <laughs> Taka. You know, in retrospect, <laughs> and uh, and he shows himself that now he's Yosef, and he cries with everybody, and he sends them on their way. And before they leave, Lekulam nosan nosan le ish 
Khalifa's Smolaif. Everybody he gave a new outfit of clothes. Why? Because since he made it look like they were going to take away Binyamin and everybody tore Korea, so he had to give them a new outfit of clothes to make up for the clothes that they ripped. He gave him 300 shekels and five changes of clothing. A lot of the Mepharshim discuss the 300 shekels. Yeah, what's the 300 shekels? So the, the default, um, the default value of an Eved is 30 shekels. This is Rabbeinu B'chayi. The default value of an Eved is 30 shekels. And if you sell an Eved to Goyim, you have to pay 10 times his value to free him. Anybody. If you sell a Jew to a, a guy, you have to spend 10 times the value. Which means it should have been 300 shekels. And every one of the brothers were chayiv to pay 300 shekels for Yosef. He was Michael them. So everybody got a 300 shekel credit, except for Binyamin, who was not chayiv. So he gave it to him in cash. But what's the five outfits? And the Gemara Megillah asked this very dramatically. It says, for the jacket that Yosef got that was worth two slayim more than everybody else's, you see they wanted to kill him. Now you send your brother back with this guy with five outfits when you know that there's something about clothes that get them that really upset? Why would you do that? So, he answers. The Gemara answers. It had nothing to do with that. It's because he was Marames to the Megillah. You know, there are certain psukim that we read out loud, and one of them is and it lists five begotens. You need a Valkyrie here. Anyway, right, five begotten. And that's what he was being Marames to. Marames to the five begotten that Mordechai was going to come out with. Now, I don't know why at this particular time Yosef decided it was a good time to give out prophetic gifts, but why don't you keep going? You know, give Don uh, the jawbone of a donkey, tell him, hold on to this, you know, uh, Shimshon's going to need it one day, you know, give Yehuda a scepter, give Zvulun a little boat, you know, whatever it is, give everybody something to Marames to what's going to happen in the future. It's only Binyamin to make reference to the Purim story? So, we have to work backwards to understand this. Um... <coughs> Yosef is wearing a disguise. Why is Yosef wearing a disguise? Why is he pretending to be Tzafnas Paneach and fool his brothers? Because he saw there was a problem. His brothers obviously had a problem with him. Anytime you throw someone into a pit to die, and then out of 
a moment of kindness, sell them into slavery, that's a sure indication that there's a problem in the family. You know what I mean? That there's, there's, there's a little tetsa here. You know what I mean? Things aren't going so well. So why did, he, why did he do this? Because he saw that they had a problem and he had to get them to see the truth. Now, why did the brothers do this? The brothers did this because they thought Yosef was dressing himself up like the Bechar and for Malchus. He decided that his Ksenis Pasim, he's, he's going to show that he's Bechar. And we all know the Bechar has to come from Leah because she was married first. So they do a little Hatzagah. They take his Ksenis Pasim, they tear it, they dip it into blood. And they bring it to their father and say, Haker, no, do you recognize this? Do you know what this is? He says, oh, it's Yosef. It must be that he got killed. Yeah, I guess so. So they made a costume out of his Ksonos Pasim. Because they made a costume out of his clothing, that's the reason that Yosef had to wear a mask when he dealt with his brothers. But the brothers had a good reason for suspecting this. Parenthetically, um, uh, there's a general rule. Nothing happens out there unless it happens in here. Yeah? Anything that's, that's happening out in the world that starts with us. Um, I'll, I'll give you what is a pretty dramatic example. Yeah? Rabbi Per, the Rashiva of Yeshiva Farakwe, asks, how could it be that there's a phenomena called uh, blood libel? The, the one people who it's us to eat blood, you decide that we kill people to eat their blood. I mean, we're the only ones who are not allowed to eat blood. So he, he says, uh, um, I'm, I'm skipping to Rebbe Khanan. I'm sorry. I want to prepare first. He says, how is this something called Holocaust denial? How is such a thing possible? It's a historical event with a tremendous amount of evidence. First-hand evidence, documentary evidence, you know, and you say it just never happened. You know, it's just, it's just absolutely astounding. He says, there's no such a thing out there unless it happens in here. And he says something which is hard to hear. Very hard to hear. But he says like this. Chubin bias reshown. So many people were killed, everything that took place. The Chazal asked, why did it happen? What caused this? Chubin bias sheni. So many people were killed. The Chazal asked, what happened? The destruction of Beitar, Bar Kokhba, how could this happen? Such tremendous destruction. The, the Chazal give answers. The Crusades and all the Jewish communities are wiped out. The, the Rishonim give answers. Tach v'tat, so many people were killed. 90% of Eastern European Jewry was wiped out. The Achronim give answers. This is the only thing in Jewish history that it is forbidden to ask why. Not allowed to. If a person starts to ask why, they get attacked left and right. You could say, I, I disagree with the answer. But you're not even allowed to ask the question. This happened when Ravadi Yosef gave an explanation for why the Holocaust happened. And, uh, and uh, he was attacked left, right, and center. And I said, you are justifying the Nazis and you're giving a reason why it was okay what they did no more than the Babylonians or the Romans or the, or the, or the Cossacks were, were justified in what they did it's just that we have to look at it so this is the only thing you're not allowed to look at it 
And he says, because we can deny the significance of the Holocaust, that's why people can deny that the Holocaust ever happened. That's what Rabbi Peir says. Yeah? Um, so Rabbi Khan Rasman asks, how could you have something like blood libels? He says, if I could say it, he says, he's nervous to say it. If I could say it, I would say it's because when the Shvatim took animal blood and pretended it was human blood, that gave license to the Yumas Olam to do the same thing to us. But okay, so the brothers did this little Hatzagah with the Ksoynas Pasim. Why? So it says, uh, so the Shvatim say, why? Because Yosef was dressing himself up as the Bachor, acting as if he was the Bachor. Now Yosef didn't do this on his own. Yaakov gave him the Ksoynas Pasim. Why did Yaakov give him the Ksoynas Pasim? Because he wanted to indicate that Yosef was the Bechor. Why? Because he said, I wanted to marry Leah first. I, I was tricked, uh, Rachel. I wanted to marry Rachel first. And I was tricked. Because Leah dressed up like her sister. And I was fooled. But my intention was to marry Rachel first. And as far as I'm concerned, the Bechor comes from Rachel. That was his, that was his far. Yeah. Now, we all know of the tremendous Messiris Nefesh of Rachel gave up her husband on her wedding day. Right? She gets a shweki song. You know what I mean? It's like unbelievable. Mama Rachel cry for us again. You know, it's beautiful. Beautiful haunting. <laughs> what a beautiful story. You know, and how she davens for her children. Yeah? So, uh, that's Mama Rachel. What about Mama Leah? How did she dress up like her sister and steal her sister's husband away? So there's two approaches in Chazal, dramatically different. One is, she never knew. Yaakov meets Rachel and says, I'm going to marry you. And she says, my father will never let it go through. And he says, oh yeah, I'm a bigger Ramai than he is. And she says, oh, you don't know my dad. <laughs> I know him better. And she knew already that it was going to be switched. So everything, every time he gave her a gift, anything he gave to Rachel, she brought it to Leah and said, Yaakov wants you to have this. Yaakov wants to give this to you. Yaakov can't wait to marry you. He's working seven years for you. I know you don't get to go out and, and with the sheep, but I go out, I see him. Oh, you don't know what he does. How, how much he can't wait to marry you. Yeah, on the wedding night she gets all dressed up and Lovin puts on a very heavy veil that's why we have a bedeckin today yeah and, um, and uh, says uh, you know by the way Yaakov said to make sure that it's you gave me your password that you should say so she says the password so when he wakes up in the morning and realizes that he was fooled in, in, in the Chumash she doesn't say anything to Leah he goes to Lovin and says why did you trick me yeah but I didn't say anything to Leah. Because he understood that Leah didn't know the whole time that Rachel was protecting her the whole time. And that's what you can imagine when a week later he suddenly marries a younger sister and Leah senses that he loves Rachel more than her. How devastating that must have been for her because she thought, gosh, seven years I'm waiting to marry this guy and then a week later he marries my sister and he loves her more than me. It was devastating. Yeah? So... Um, that's one approach. The other approach, the Medrash says, is completely different. 
He wakes up in the morning and finds out it's Leah. And he says to Leah, how did you trick me? He says, trick you? He says, yeah, you knew I wanted to marry Leah, uh, Rachel. And you know that I had a special code with her that you took from your sister. He says, you look kind of upset. He says, I am upset. Yeah, it's kind of despicable to dress up like a sibling to fool somebody. Especially if you are fooling your poor blind father who thinks that he's giving the brachas to Esau, but you decided to dress up like your brother and take advantage. You have to wonder sometimes what motivates people. But you decided, I guess, that you're the Bechor. You bought the Bechayra, you took the Brachos, you're the Bechar. Guess what? It's a package, and it comes with me. Because I'm supposed to marry the Bechar. But you, you forgot you were the Bechar. You decided to marry the younger sister, even though that wasn't who you were supposed to marry anymore, because you're the Bechar. And you were going to skip me over. Guess what? It don't work that way. Well, well that was a surprising turn of events, as you can imagine. He marries Rachel also, you know, but he understood that Leah had a, a fina taina. <laughs> Leah dresses up like Rachel because he's supposed to marry her. Why? Because Yaakov dressed up like Esav. Now, why does Yaakov dress up like Esav? Yeah? Esav was fooling Yitzchak. He wanted to convince him that he was Roy for the Avodah. And he put on the begodim of Adam Arishon. Hashem made special begodim for Adam Arishon. He passed it all the way down to Noah, who took it on the Teva, passed it down to Shem, and eventually Nimrod stole them. And Esav killed Nimrod and took back those begodim and would put it on when he served his father. Says Bereshis Rabbah, what were those begodim? They were the begodim of the Kohen Gadol. Now, Take a moment to, to point this out. There are two words we use for clothing. Levush, from the word, from the Lushen of busha, embarrassment, and beget, from the Lushen of boget, to be a rebel. The fact that we need uh, clothing is an embarrassment to us. What does that mean? Adam Rishon didn't need clothing because he was the Adam Ashalim. He didn't have a goof like we have a goof. This goof is made out of dirt. He had a goof which the Chazal say was like a glass filled with light. There was nothing, there was nothing what we think of as a human body, a, a flesh and blood in that sense. He was something on a much higher level. He didn't need clothing. After the chait, we dropped a level and we had to put on clothing. But that's an embarrassment. It's an embarrassment because of our rebellion. So Kodesh Baruch Hu makes him a special begadim. What are the purpose of this begadim? It's to be able to recapture the level that he had. You put on these clothing and you have it. I'm embarrassed to make this reference again. But as I mentioned that when I was younger, I used to research... Um, I, I saw kids reading these superhero comics and I was just wondering what it was all about. So I spent some time researching it uh, for, for future future reference I mentioned the Fantastic Four so at one point I just remember the, I don't know why I remember this they lost the <laughs> Ulrich told me 
that his wife woke him up in the middle of the night. He was reciting the presidents by heart. You know, he obviously had to memorize as a kid. It never goes away. Anything, anything worthless never goes away. You know? <laughs> anything good, you know, you can forget it immediately. But anything worthless stays with you. You know, I once had a rabbi who said to me, "Orlovsky, if only you could learn to use your mind for good instead of evil. Imagine what you could accomplish." You know, but I, I took that as a challenge. So anything that I, any nonsense that I have picked up over the years, I try to use it somehow. So, um, so they, they lost their powers. So Reed Richards, of course, being a genius, you know, made them new suits. So he, for example, was able to stretch. So he had this like nesting thing, you know, the metal nesting thing that he was able to expand it and stretch very far with this machine. The, 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 the costumes were designed to recreate the powers that they lost. La Havdolus. Yeah? The begodim that Kodesh Baruch Hu made for Adam Arishon as he was leaving Gan Eden was that when he wore these begodim, he could become the real Tzuras Adam, And the Kohen Gadol is the ultimate expression of a Tzuras Adam. That's why, yeah, uh, the Yofi from Yefes, the Greeks who believed that they had true Yofi and true beauty. So who's spreading it around the world? Right? Alexander the Great, who was a Talmud of Aristotle himself, you know, and he's, he's the, the spitz of everything that, that Greece has. When Shemin Tzadik goes out to greet him, the Kohen Gadol, he puts on the begodim of the Kohen Gadol. And when Alexander is confronted with the true Tzuras HaOdom, he gets off of his horse and bows down to him. Because he understands that what he has is nothing in comparison. Those were the begodim of the Kohen Gadol. It was, it was something that told you, this is the true Tzuras HaOdom. Who's that? That's Yaakov. Yaakov Ish Tom, who is the true Adam Asholim. Malochim Oilim Vyardimba. One of the Rishonim says that they were with Yaakov and they went up to the Kisayat Kavod and they saw Yaakov over there. They said, Oh, we went the wrong way and they go back down. They said, Oh, he's in both places. Yeah? Yaakov is what a person's supposed to be. The big day kahuna were made for Yaakov. And Asaph took those and put them on and dressed up like Yaakov. So Yaakov had to take the begodim and dress up like Asaph, dressing up like himself, just to be himself. So it turns out that because Asaph was dressing up like Yaakov, Yaakov had to dress up like Asaph. And because Yaakov dressed up like Asaph, that's the reason that Leah had to dress up like Rachel. And because Leah dressed up like Rachel, that's the reason that Yaakov dressed up Yosef uh, like the Bechar. And because he dressed him up like the Bechar, that's the reason that the brothers had to dress up the Ksonis Pasim. And that's the reason that Yosef had to dress up at Safnas Parneach. Chad Gadya. Now, besides the fact that that is funny, I would point out the Groz Parish on Chad Gadya is all about Mechiris Yosef. And that's the Gedi that it starts with. And, and he explains that the, the cat are the shvatim, and it goes straight through until the shochet that kills the shor, which is Edom, is Meshech ben Yosef. So the whole thing is, is all about Yosef. It's, it's, it's there. It's complicated, one thing on top of the other, on top of the other. And finally, when he takes off the mask, everybody sees who he is. And then he's Marames to Binyamin. And for all the Shvatim, this is nothing. One day there's going to be a real costume party. This was nothing. 
You know what a real costume party is? HaKadosh Baruch who's going to wear a mask. It's going to be so effective, says the Gemara in Megillah, that the Jews go to, go to Yechezka Novi and say, do we still have to keep the Torah? HaKadosh Baruch Hu divorced us, destroyed our house, sent us into Gullus. That's, that's Gemara Giddin. Parenthetically, that's why Reb Tzaddik says that all the Gemaras about the Chorban are in Gemara Giddin. Yeah? He says, divorce us. So if a husband divorces his wife, does she, does she still have to listen to him? He's not here with us anymore. He has abandoned us. We are alone. Because Hashem haste aste panai, he was hiding. Hashem himself was wearing a mask. That's why Megillus Esther, you don't even find Hashem's name in it. Fun fact, when a cipher starts out, the first thing they give him to write is Megillus Esther. Because Hashem's name is not in it. That's why you see so many ads for Megillus Esther's for sale, because uh, every, every uh, sofa has to write one, you know. So, uh, might as well make a few bucks, you know. But uh, his name isn't even there. Hashem's name doesn't appear. He's completely hidden. He uses Achashverosh as his alter ego. And Kodesh Baruch was hiding. He's not there. And they go through the whole story thinking that they know what's going on and they don't know what's going on the whole time. They go to the Seuda and they pretend to eat and drink. They don't. They don't eat the treif. They don't drink the, the, the geisha wine. They, they, they understand. Yeah. They pretend. They're wearing a mask. But how do you go to such a Suda? Kalim Shainim. One of the Psukum we do to the Eicha Trup. They were being served on the, on the dishes from the Beis HaMikdash. And Achashverosh comes out dressed in the Begadim of the Kohen Gadol. Take a look. I'm the real Tzuras Adam. You guys are nothing. And you sit there at a party with Achashverosh wearing the Begadim, the Kohen Gadol, and the, and the Kalim from the Beis HaMikdash. I don't care whether you eat or not. You're playing a little Hatzaga. He's also dressed up. He's also dressed up. That's why Mordechai told him not to go. And Haman comes out wearing a great costume. He's got a Vodazara all over it. So when everybody bows down to him, they bow down to the Vodazara. But he's not bowing down. Because that first fight between Yaakov and Esav is being played out again. And where Yaakov bowed down to Esav, Mordechai is not bowing down to Haman. And the result is they build a gallows, 50 armors tall, and Mordechai is going to be hanged, and everybody knows what's going on. It's unbelievable. But we know that Esther's really Jewish. She's on our side. But instead, she keeps inviting Haman to private parties. (laughs) Maybe we can't count on Esther either. Maybe we have no place to go. What do we do now? We're stuck. And I can't find HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I don't know where he is. But guess what? I'm in trouble. And so I say, Hashem, wherever you are, I need you. I'm in trouble. Help me. Maybe he's not there. Maybe he doesn't care about you anymore. Those are all interesting points, but not one that I can really focus on right now because I'm going to get killed. It's amazing how in moments of desperation...
you're able to come up with the most amazing insights. Yeah? Um, Noah Weinberg from Asia Torah tells the story. I was speaking once about Kirov, and this uh, from Yid comes over to him. He's in the nursing home business. And he says, yeah, I, I made a Balchuva. He says, you did? He says, yeah, I had nursing homes. And it was only for Goyim. I didn't work with Yidin. Only Goyim. But somehow this one Jewish lady came. So I asked her, Shaila, and they said, you can't feed a treif. You have to feed a kosher food. So I got a special kosher caterer to bring her food. And she said, she's going to report me to the state. Because I want to eat what everybody else eats. So I said to her, you don't want to eat that tray for chazerai. This is much more expensive. It's better food. He says, I don't care. I'm an old lady. I want to eat what everybody else eats. He says, but it's, it tastes a lot better. That stuff is terrible. He says, I don't have any teeth. I, don't, I can't taste anything. I don't really care. I want to eat what everybody else eats. You know? He says, but it's, but it's healthier. He says, I'm 92. How healthy do I have to be? You know what I mean? I don't expect to live much longer. I want to eat what everybody else eats. Because now, you know, she davens three times a day. She says to him, she keeps Shabbos. So Mark says, what did you say to her? He says, didn't you understand what I just told you? The state was going to close me down. I don't know what I said to her. I just started talking. <laughs> I said anything I could think of, you know, because I was going to lose my business. Noach's point, of course, was that if we felt it was important enough, we'd come up with the right thing to say. This is not an advertisement for the fact that I'm going to be speaking at the Project Inspire convention this weekend because <laughs> it was sold out months ago because people heard I was coming. But, um, you know, it's a, uh, uh, you know, uh, desperation. And people cry out to Hashem. And suddenly, they wake up in the morning and they see Mordechai hanging. It's not Mordechai. It's Haman. Where's Mordechai? Mordechai Yatzah. He comes out with the big day Malchus. And suddenly they realize that there was a costume party going on the whole time. We didn't understand anything that was going on. Everybody was wearing a mask. Everything was something other than what it appeared. Everything was hidden. The meat inside the kreplach. Yeah, the, 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 the filling inside of the, of the halantash. I didn't see it. We wear costumes because we don't know what we see. When the Purim story opens, the evil king Achashverosh is in charge, the Jews are in Gullus, and the basement is destroyed. When the story ends, the evil king Achashverosh is in charge, the Jews are in Gullus, and the basement is destroyed. Not much of a geula. Samach geula la geula. Not much of a geula. The geula of Purim is that a Kodesh Baruch Hu is there when you don't see him. You're never alone. Like the little girl whose poem they found in Auschwitz where she wrote, I believe in the sun even when it's not shining. And I believe in a Kodesh Baruch Hu even when I can't see him. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu is always there. Sometimes we get to see him, and more often than not, he's wearing a mask. And we think he's not there. You have to work hard 
to see him peeking through the cracks, as the Prosek and Shir Hashem says. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is there. He's hidden. What happened on Purim was we came out of hiding. We came out of hiding. We were willing to stand up and say, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we are your people. Because as long as we're hiding, that was the first, that was the first Purim. The first costume party where clothes first enter into the picture. Adam and Chava eat from the Eitzadas and they realize that they are naked. Rashi says, naked from mitzvahs. And they hear Hashem coming. And what do they do? They hide in the trees. Clever opening gambit. Yeah? Hide in the trees. There is a fellow in Rishalayim who knows the Tzuras him. He can read your face. Yeah? He can look at your face and tell you what you've been doing. So, somebody who knows the Mishpacha told me. That's not my name. Too bad I almost made off with something tonight, right? His sons were walking around like this. <laughs> <laughs> Until finally their father said, don't you think if I can read your face, I can see through your hat? <laughs> you know? Hiding in the trees. And uh, a Kush Baruch Hu comes and he starts, uh, starts rustling the bushes. Yeah. Where are you? I heard you and I hid. Who told you? Did you eat from the tree I told you not to eat from? What would be the correct answer at that point? Yes. And I'm very sorry. That really would have been the end of the story right there. Instead, he decided to fall back on a trick that men have been using for 6,000 years. <laughs> it's my wife's fault. Yeah? So the wife said, it's the snake's fault. It's everybody's fault. Everybody's fault. A Baruch Hu comes in and we're hiding from Hashem. And Hashem says, Ayeka which of course can be knocked in a different way. Ayeka, where are you? Don't you understand this is gullus when you're hidden from me? That's the destruction. That's the tragedy. Come out of hiding. And he says, I'm afraid to come out of hiding. And because we hide from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, HaKadosh Baruch Hu hides from us. And on Purim, we came out of hiding. Why? Did you eat from the tree I told you not to eat from? What was the purpose of that question? It was to give Adam an opportunity to come out of hiding and say what he did. That's the challenge. Haman was there for one purpose, for us to take off our mask. And if we'll take off our mask, Hashem will take off his mask. 
That's the Samach Geula Geula. Then the Geula of Purim can set the stage for the Geula of Pesach. But until you have the Geula of Purim, until we're willing to say to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we're coming out of hiding. Yeah? It wasn't cute when someone asked the Kotzka, where's HaKadosh Baruch Hu? And he answered, any place you let him in. Kaddish Baruch Hu is waiting for that invitation. He's waiting to see you come out. He's waiting, like Rashi says, by Amalek when we cry out, Tata, Tata. Yeah? And Kozman, that we're hiding from a Kaddish Baruch Hu, a Kaddish Baruch Hu is hiding from us. That's the courage. That's the courage to be able to take that step forward. There was a, a story that took place in that show many years ago. There was a bus bombing on a Sunday morning on an 18 bus. And uh, everybody went crazy and they said it's because uh, Rabin didn't close off the Shtachim. So he puts a closure on the Shtachim. And a week later, on a Sunday morning, in, uh, in the 18 bus, a terrorist blows it up again. And the pundits, the talking heads, said, well, that's because, you know, Yerushalayim and so many Arabs, it's impossible to really protect it. And a week later, on Tainus Esther, a terrorist went in and shot up in a mall in Tel Aviv, a whole bunch of little kids dressed up in their Purim outfits for the night. And no one had anything to say. And now suddenly all the talking heads were quiet. Uh, what do you say? And there was a big discussion that night whether or not we should have Purim after what happened. And the Rabbanim said, don't you understand? That is Purim. Purim is when you don't understand. Drink until you don't know. Says the bear, hey Dave, you have to drink enough till you cannot work out that the gematria of Baruch Mordechai is the same as Arahaman. For most people, that's a sip. <laughs> they can't work it out when they're sober. You know? The Ramah says to drink a Revius and take a nap. So when you're sleeping, you won't know the difference. But what's the pshat Adalo Yoda? You have to drink till you don't know. Because between me and you, you don't know anyway. But now, at least, you'll know that you don't know. Adalo yada. Drink until you realize, I don't know. I don't know. I think I know. The ge'ula doesn't come about by all the people who think they know. The ge'ula comes about by the people who don't know. Next week's parsha. What a poignant Rashi where the women wanted to give their little copper mirrors to the building of the Mishkan and Moshe didn't want it and Kosh Baruch Hu says these are so precious to me because of this we still have a Klai Yisrael because the women would use it to make sure that they would get pregnant and have children the men had already given up have a child in this hell for what? so that Paro can bathe in his blood so that he could be used as a brick but the women Push the issue. Now, I tell you the truth. I've never been a slave. 
and I've never been pregnant, and I've never been a pregnant slave. But I can't imagine it's too pleasant. And I imagine if there was anybody who would have wanted to stay away from the situation, it was the women. But the women saw the geula. There won't be any hidden left to save. We have to have children. You have to have children. You have to have faith. You have to believe. Kodesh Baruch Hu is there with us. And it's because of the Nashim Sidkaniyais that we were saved from Mitzrayim because they didn't give up. And by the eagle, we all knew. We all knew by the eagle. We spoke about this last summer. We all knew by the eagle what happened. We saw Moshe dead. We saw everything that was happening. We saw And we asked the women for the jewelry and they said, no. He says, why? He says, because Moshe's coming back. He's dead. No, he's not. I saw him dead. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. <laughs> yeah. And when the Miraculum come back with their report and say, there's no hope, the women said, what do you mean? Moshe said, we're going to capture itself. So how? How? There are giants. There are this. There are that. I don't know. I don't have to know. You have to know. And until the situation gets so bad that nobody knows anymore, I don't know what to answer. Listen to all the defense people in Israel today. How can you protect against some person in the street who just suddenly grabs a knife and starts stabbing people. And, and professional after professional says, we don't know. We don't know. I remember at the beginning of the, of the second intifada, Barack was prime minister. He says, I'm giving the Palestinian authority 24 hours to stop this. He says, and if not, anachnu neidam al-asad. We'll know what to do. Remember Weinbach, I heard him speak after that. And he says, you know what we say in Davening? We don't know what to do. And that was for sure true about Barack. He didn't have the slightest idea what to do. You know? <laughs> so if they don't stop in 24 hours, then we're going to give them another 24 hours. <laughs> and then they'll see. <laughs> you know, what do you do? When a situation reaches the point where you don't know what to do anymore, that's Purim. It's a very sad song. You know why? Because you don't know the difference. You don't know who Haman is, you don't know who Mordechai is, and everybody's wearing masks, and you don't know what's going on. Not until the last moment does anybody figure out what was going on. When all the masks come off. That's Purim. And Purim, the mask comes off. And that's the introduction to Geula of Pesach. When Amir Hashem, we will see Nisim in the flows. So the Gemara and Bracha says that the Nisim in the flows of Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim will be like a candle in front of the sun. And Amir Hashem, if we do our Avodah the right way on Purim, and we'll be Zaycha to an Emesa Geula come Pesach.